So welcome again to the Paris 21 podcast. I have today as my guest Mario Pezzini, the director of the OECD Development Center. Good morning. Hello, Mario. How are you these days? Very well, very well. Finally, I like also working from home and testing these new type of relations that obviously leave aside important aspect of life, but for other aspects can also be positive. Mario, you have a long-standing career in development. You have seen many things coming and going. Uh, can I ask you just a question? It's about your relationship to data and statistics. How has it affected your life? Well, it has affected the life from the beginning at school. I did a scientific high school, so there there were data. Then I studied economics. So definitely, I think it has affected my life and my work. I have to confess, Johannes, to you that I had always uh, a little bit of impression that we tend to care what we measure and not necessarily that we measure what we care. Let me give you some example. I started my career while working on small and medium-sized firms and I was studying and also doing some policy work in a region called Emilia-Romagna around Bologna where there are plenty of small firms. Now, in that case, the question was, should we continue to support small firms that in reality were very productive? The wages in this region were always the highest in Italy, and therefore uh, all the elements of performance were there. But what was not there was uh, knowledge about uh, informatics, machines that were appearing in those sectors, mechanics and others. And these uh, very qualified skilled workers, they didn't have that specific type of skills, but they were absolutely capable to innovate, but they didn't have this capacity about informatics. So what to do? We used to say, yes, these firms are handicapped because look at the innovation. They are incapable to innovate. You say, oh, look what they produce is everyday innovation, micro-innovation plus micro-innovation that produce new products. They say, no, if you look at the data, on uh, research and development in this region, there are very few investments in that field. But obviously, because a large firm has a department of engineers called the Department of Development. And when you look at the budget, then you have a line that is called research and development. In small firms, the organization is different. They do innovate, they do research, but in a different way. And so it doesn't appear in the data. So you see how the data can, the data that we have, if you stick and we care what we measure, sometimes we can take bad decision. What we should do instead is to measure what we care. And here come another example that actually has to deal with you, Johannes. Because I remember when you came in my office and you said, look, Mario, there is a country in the north of Africa that... Uh, for 10 years, had 5% of growth, practically a primary deficit that was minus than minus three. Uh, so it was in reality better than all the European country. We had 1% enrollment in primary school and high enrollment in secondary school. And you said, and you asked me, which country I'm talking about? And I didn't know. So I asked you in reverse, tell me. And you said, Tunisia. Now, this was a big surprise. Why? Because you came to see me 
exactly after the explosion of the so-called Arab Spring. And obviously Tunisia was one of the first country affected or going through the Arab Spring because there was a social upheaval. And all the data that we were considering as economists were saying, oh, this is a perfect model. Look, is one of the first of the class. So one of the first of the class exploded socially. So it was obvious that what we were measuring was not good in terms of telling us what was going on. Our lenses in terms of measure bring us in the bad direction. I will uh, quote a third example. Uh, we like very often to, <laughs> to speak about three things. I don't know why. But so the third example is more recent. We have been all engaged in the SDGs. And we know that the SDGs practically witness that a good condition for a country is not just growth. Actually, growth and measuring the performance of a country only in terms of GDP, it will be like if you go to see a doctor and the doctor uh, wants to know from you only your weight. In general, it's obvious that the weight is important but not sufficient. Still, we continue to ask countries only about the GDP. And uh, uh, the SDGs have put together other indicators, but how much they enter in our thinking and uh, policy making, very little. So, for example, we have a series of countries that at present are graduating from the official development assistance because they have a certain level of GDP per capita. But we all know that those countries are countries that still are facing serious development trap. Here are there for three examples. To tell you that in my career, I have been confronted very often and happily with data, but sometimes with problems related to data. <laughs> Maybe 15 years ago or so, there was the, the coining of the term shifting wealth. And lots of studies and statistics, we have put out so many tons of papers and documentation and OECD says basically the wealth is shifting east, eastwards and also southwards. We have a multipolar world, Africa is coming up. So some of the things that we have projected 15, 20 years ago, eventually don't come through. This whole, these estimations, this projection into the future, does it at all make sense at the end of the day? I think that uh, I would go back to Schumpeter and this idea that you need statistics, you need history, and you need theory. So I would say, if our way to think about the future is just looking at the past and then project what happened in the past in the future, probably we will continue to get wrong. We need to add on those analyses additional element, for example, historical discontinuity. There are moments in time in which you have a serious break. We have seen a series of moments of this nature. Let's see, obviously the Second World War and the World War are always a moment like this. But after that, what happened in the world? The decolonization and the shifting wealth. And I would add now also the COVID. A series of moments that actually constitute a change in history. And therefore, uh, we need to take into account that even in a, the space of a life, you can encounter decisive moments that are breakthrough and not just continuity. How can you work 
about the breakthrough that by definition are unexpected. Well, you have to use the data and the projection, but also you have to use historical memory and how to do it. Science is crucial, but we need also a political discourse. We need people that sit around the table and discuss, that try to elaborate a narrative on what is going on. So my suggestion would be much more work on the impact of what we do, much more discussion, and much more historical memory. What we realized, though, is this spat on the one hand between uh, the ambition to be exact, to measure everything and to put standards, but then the transmission, the translation to ordinary people. Something is missing here. Something, I think, what you coined with the term narrative. The example of the COVID is so interesting because including my children are now talking about our values, infection rates. Governments take seriously advice from the virologues from professors, they're listening. And that's always what we wanted, Mario, right? But on the other hand, there is a big curse that by as the time of the pandemics goes on, people realize that there are different professors telling different things with the same data. So people start to get confused and they say, all these experts, they don't know what they do. And anyway, I don't understand. This is all too complex for me. And at the end, they lie anyway. So I see a huge risk currently of this debate if you don't manage this properly. How can you advise? How can we as experts go forward? The first point is that we are living a phase of big mistrust in respect to government and in respect to experts. And therefore, we need to reflect on what are the sources of this mistrust. And I think that in part, the sources are related to what happened in the recent past. I may recall that the rate of growth globally was supposed to be around 3%. And in 2019, trade was growing only 0.7%, which means that trade was not contributed in any way to growth. And I think that never endlessly, we continue to say every six months after 2008 that the situation was not great, but in the next six months, we'll improve. And it didn't happen. It makes sense that an uh, organization dealing with the economics, I'm talking about IMF, OECD, and others, tend to be a little bit more positive than their data. Therefore, if you build on negative expectation, you create a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. In many cases, what are the people in the street asking for? They are asking for voice. They think that they have not been heard. Very often in some countries, these people tend to live in rural areas. And what has happened up to now? It has happened that our analysis very much sectoral have said, oh, if you have too much uh, CO2, what you have to do is to increase the price of the use of transport and car and oil so that people will use other means without thinking that people in rural areas do not have other means because there are no public means that can substitute the traditional transport means. And so uh, we have created uh, a, a clear sense that uh, our elaboration 
is not taking into account the voice of people. So I think we need a series of mechanisms in which we create table where this voice can be heard. Now, how do you intervene when a country is in a condition in which the social contract is broken? We have some example around. For example, in France, when after 68, what was done was Les Accords de Grenelle. You ask the crucial actor, unions, or, uh, entrepreneurs, the government, local authorities, to sit down and to find at least a minimum uh, common multiplicator for the vision for the country. My suggestion would be, let's use the plan. In many countries, you have plan. In France, there was Le Commissariat au Plan, for example. And then you start going in places. You define what should be the model of development for a province. And you discuss with the people there and you give them the voice and then you try to translate it into a general design. To do that, data are fundamental. Because if you ask people to come and discuss just by scratch, it's like to go to the bar du commerce, to the sport bar, everybody will say the last idea which is in the air. But if you structure it by saying, okay, we have few data, we put them on the table, and now the voice is on, on your side. We built a structure, but at the same time, we give voice to the actor. I think this would be a way to do it, using data. We want to end this year on a positive note. Some people say there is some light at the end of the tunnel. So may I ask you to give us one or two optimistic message for next year, in particular related to development? Because you hear voices coming out that propose a new deal. A new deal means much more than only money, it means also orientation in policies. How do we get together in order to define public action? There was a very long uh, interview to Pascal Lamy about polylateralism, uh, proposing a new way to do multilateralism. There was a very long interview to uh, President Macron, who was saying, look, we need to rethink uh, international cooperation, among others, but also we need to define a new consensus. So I see a series of uh, openings that are appearing. You may believe that one is good, the other not, or what else, but at least a series of openings when, you know, when you have a crack, the light can come in, as Leonard Cohen used to say. So I see some cracks that open. So a world with more participation, more interest to think solution, more conviction that history is not over. Well, we couldn't end on a better note. I would really thank so much Mario Pizzini, the director of the OECD Development Center, to be our guest today. This was a wonderful talk. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you, Mario. My pleasure.